What's up, everyone? I'm Andrew Steinwald, and this is Zima Red. On this show, we speak with the users, founders, and creatives that are diving into the world of unique digital assets, also called non-fungible tokens. My guest today is Avier. Avier is working on bleeding-edge technology called the Webiverse. The Webiverse is essentially infrastructure that enables the metaverse to be experienced everywhere online and using any technology. Think of it like how you can access websites from your desktop or phone and still have a similar experience. Our conversation is heavily focused on the metaverse, but we also discuss different funding methods from DAOs to venture capital, launching a metaverse technology while literally inside a metaverse, and how through collaboration we can expedite the emergence of this technology. Speaking with Avier, you quickly understand that he is driven by his mission to aid in the construction of an open and inclusive metaverse. He's always thinking and acting in a collaborative fashion to reach his goals. I know if we can get behind Avier's vision, then we will be fully immersed in the virtual in no time. Please enjoy my conversation with Avier. Avier, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really, really excited to chat with you. And to get us started, I'd love to hear a little bit about your background and how you got involved with the metaverse. Oh man, uh, well, back in grade three, I wrote an essay about how I basically wanted to live in a virtual room where nobody would disturb me. Um, and a lot of people thought I was like super crazy because like that was long before VR was like in anybody's lexicon. It was long before like programming was cool. So like I was the guy that was in the dark room constantly just like typing away and nobody understood what I was doing except like just Adrian's doing something with computers. Yeah, and I got made fun of and yeah, everybody kind of like told me I should be doing something more important with my life, like um, playing soccer because like that's how like you get a real job or like, I don't know, maybe I should become a doctor or a lawyer. Like everybody thought that I was like super smart, um, but they didn't really understand what I'm doing. Um, and then it seems the tables have turned and today... What happened was, um, we're in coronavirus times, so what happened was my bank decided to lock up my bank account so that I couldn't order any food online, but what I did is I hacked the site a little bit to let that go through. So it turns out that like programming is now kind of something that almost saved my life, kind of. <laughs> that and all of the people that were making fun of me back in the day are now kind of like asking me for like references in terms of like getting programming jobs. So like, how did I get involved with the metaverse? Um, just kind of like a slow burn. I was always inventing things as a kid and slowly that moved into web development. Um, worked with a few Silicon Valley startups. And from that, I kind of got inspired by the VR bug when uh, web VR started becoming a thing in uh, web browsers, which is just like a way to run uh, VR experiences from uh, web technologies. Just you go to a site you hit a button and then it blasted into your headset. Um, first time I tried that on a Rift, I was hooked. And yeah, ever since then, I kind of like checked out of that startup scene. And then I jumped into a new startup scene, um, just doing web uh, VR type stuff. And now that seems to have exploded because now like everybody's coming to us for like doing um, virtual conferences and all sorts of other crazy solutions that they need because all the real conferences have been canceled. Um, so how did I get involved in the metaverse? It's really hard to say because I feel like I've always been doing it. It's just the times have shifted and now that's a thing that people realize is going to be a thing. That's awesome. That is such a cool uh, slide into the metaverse. And it, you're right. It's not really an instant, hey, I'm part of the metaverse now. It's kind of this gradual thing that uh, slowly takes hold and you start to get more and more immersed in it. And it seems like 
you're absolutely right about the, um, you know, when you're growing up, people say, hey, you know, get get these grades, do this thing, you know, go play soccer because everyone else plays soccer. Like they kind of want you to fit this like societal norm. And it's really the people that are thinking outside of the box and doing the weird kind of innovative things. Those are the people that often drive like society forward as a whole. So that's really cool how you kind of didn't listen to those people and kind of, you know, went on your own path. I think that that's really inspiring to me and probably a lot of other people. When you were first starting to learn about the metaverse, what is it that attracted you to it? Where you just kind of like, I don't know, I, I love coding, I love VR. The combination of the two is amazing. Like, let, let's let's do that full time. Or kind of what was that initial attraction? I think um, the reason uh, why I like got into metaverse stuff and why I was writing essays about like this stuff long before I even knew what it was is the same reason I was attracted to programming. Like if you're not a programmer or if you're not like a crazy programmer, then it might be hard to like comprehend what programming really entails, but it's so much more than just typing on a keyboard. You're inventing ideas and making them real in a sense. I I guess there's a parallel with like game programming. It's like, why do games programmers get into games in the first place? And I think it's because they want more agency over their lives and their ideas and programming is just an expression of that. And the metaverse to me is like pretty much just a much more reified version of that. It's not only are you programming things, not only are you creating things um, without the constraints of reality, but you can actually touch them for once. Like these are games, these are uh, places, these are things that you can actually feel like you're kind of part of, you're inside them. Just the other day, we were actually just walking through uh, Ocarina of Time in VR. Somebody put up a site with uh, all the maps extracted from that Nintendo 64 game, and we were just walking around with our own avatars. It's like absolute like craziness. And yeah, it's pretty much these kinds of ideas. Like I want to be part of something bigger. I want to have agency over my world, and I want to take part in like building like the future in a sense. It's a mishmash of all of that that really got me into it. And I and it just felt like a natural extension of what I was already doing with like programming. I mean, one of the first projects that I wrote was a game, so. That's awesome. To go back a little bit, what was your progression to be where you are today in terms of technical skill set? Because you said you were coding at a young age and then you got into VR. So does that mean you were able to like, I'm not technical, so this I might be saying this incorrectly, but were you able to like code VR worlds or like code VR stuff? And then you said web VR, is that like a next step up from like regular VR? How does that look like technically? So web VR is really just a way to take a website and add some uh, GPU rendering code to it to make it work in your headset. But that was my gateway drug to it. Basically web programming is you're just um, creating 2D sites using HTML and JavaScript and CSS and laying things out. Uh, But I think around like 2016, a couple of people realized that those same technologies had natural extensions to the 3D world. Like you have 2D content and you have 3D content, you're really just adding a third dimension to it. And that was also about the time when the browsers started getting all these really advanced like graphics technologies like uh, WebGL. Um, And soon we have like WebGPU. And these are just really ways of taking the stuff that operating systems were already doing for games, this graphics rendering stuff, and putting it in the browser. 
And what that allows you to do is it allows you to have self-contained experiences within a website that you can share with anybody, kind of like a Steam that works everywhere and it works on every device because now we have basically 100% compatibility between browsers, whether you're on a phone, you're on an iPad, you're on a standalone headset like the Quest, you're on a desktop headset, you're on an AR device like the Magic Leap, or you're just on a regular desktop machine. So it was like super easy for me to get onboarded just using my uh, web experience working with uh, web startups in Silicon Valley at the time. But yeah, to me, like these lines kind of blur, like in terms of developing the skill set and everything, like I try not to limit myself to any particular technology. Like if there's any piece of the stack uh, in terms of programming that I don't understand, I'm the kind of person that wants to go in. I want to understand how everything works. And so when I saw VR and I'm like, you know what, the metaverse is like really coming, I better like pay attention, I better learn all this stuff. It was um, pretty easy for me to get started. And these days, if anybody does want to like kind of onboard, I've already had the pleasure of onboarding a couple of people onto web VR themselves. I find that uh, web developers just kind of take naturally to the idea of, hey, uh, we've been building 2D stuff and we can also make it 3D. I want to ask you what your views are on cryptocurrencies. It's kind of, they're not really directly related to the metaverse per se, but I mean, they are digitally native or internet native kind of assets in my mind. But I want to ask you, what do you think about cryptocurrencies? So it's funny that you mentioned that you think they're not related. I think they're super related, but that's a very new opinion to me. Um, so I've kind of had like a bit of a roller coaster relationship with cryptocurrencies. Um, I was one of the first people mining Bitcoin way back when you could do it on a CPU and later a GPU. <laughs> and the only thing that I used it for was to get 100% legitimate drugs on Silk Road. Yeah, so that wasn't a really good use of money in retrospect. But where I kind of checked out of the whole Bitcoin scene was the first time I heard the term ICO, like initial coin offering. At that point, I felt like okay, so this is like really cool technology. What are we going to use it for? I had all these ideas. A lot of them were metaverse because this was also about the time when uh, VR was getting started. But I felt like suddenly got took over by a completely different mindset of people who had no idea what the technology was going to be used for, but they wanted to get in on it and they wanted to sell coins because that was like the hot new thing. And so I saw the term ICO and then I saw people like reviewing ICOs when there was like no asset, no anything really backing it other than just like some hype of some future value. So that was the time I'm, I kind of like wrote off Bitcoin and I just, just decided, no, this is like not worth my time and maybe I'll look into it later. More recently though, uh, within the last year or so, we've seen this huge explosion of uh, crypto projects that are doing what I feel is like something that's starting to become meaningful. Like, for example, CryptoVoxels. What I recently realized is, so first of all, CryptoVoxels is just a world where you can build um, voxel-based parcels in your web browser. And they're basically backed by uh, cryptocurrencies slash NFTs, non-fungible tokens. But what I've seen in CryptoVoxels is that it's actually being used for real things. This isn't just some virtual world that has no point. What it's being used for is it's being used for artists to put up their artwork um, in terms of like uh, virtual art galleries and some really crazy stuff that kind of even defies description or just defies any sort of parallel to existing art galleries. They're like art galleries which you can enter, which you can go through, which teleport you around. And really the way that people are doing this stuff is they're just innovating with 2D images and 3D space. It's absolutely nuts. But the way that this plays into cryptocurrencies and why I feel like they are starting to get value now is it's because 
We have artists who want to make a living. They want to be supported by a fan base. We have platform developers, like the developer of CryptoVoxels, Ben, great guy. He needs to have some sort of funding, some sort of support for creating like these virtual worlds for people um, that people are using. And then we have infrastructure developers like OpenSea who want to basically connect all these different projects together and also they need to make money um, doing so. So we've kind of begun to see this closed loop here between artists that are patronizing the platform, they're selling their tokens on these platforms like OpenSea, and we have the platform developers like uh, CryptoVoxels which are also like kind of getting a cut and like the whole thing feels like it's starting to close. And whereas I once thought that this was 100%, um, that cryptocurrencies were like a thing that was 100% based on um, whales kind of like coming in, pumping in value, hoping that like they won't be the one holding the bag when it all goes to crap. Now I kind of see like, no, there's actually people that are getting real tangible value out of this. Sometimes it's literally tangible value because we are starting to see like uh, cryptocurrencies being linked to um, physical loot. And I mean loot, that's like not really a new thing, like swag from conferences. And with everything kind of like going virtual, like this is starting to make a lot of sense to me that cryptocurrencies are really a way to track value and to feel like you have a sense of ownership in uh, something bigger, whether that's the platform, whether that's art, whether that's patronizing your favorite artist, or or whether you're just paying for some in infrastructure fees for um, something that's hosting all this stuff. And so it feels like, yeah, we're getting this loop that's tighter and tighter, and it really breaks away from all of the old guard that's been holding a lot of the metaverse stuff back. Like payments on the web is still like a hugely unsolved problem. And I'm always telling people who like come to me with solutions on like, how do you get paid for making web VR stuff? I tell them, go look at CryptoVoxels and what they did. It's absolutely bonkers. That's awesome. You brought up a really, really good point about how ICOs, they were kind of just, a lot of them were created by people just obviously looking to get rich. And also they were making they're creating their projects based off of problems that didn't really exist. And they're adding a token for no real reason. It's like, okay, well, what does the token do? Oh, well, uh, you know, nothing really. Well, it's used to fundraise for, you know, I need the money to, you know, have a team and blah, blah, blah. So it didn't really, it was not a sustainable model. And it's really interesting that you point out, because I've never really noticed this until you just said it, was that we've kind of created this flowing ecosystem that's sustainable. So you have the artists who are creating their digital art as NFTs, and then they're buying this, these virtual plots of land in CryptoVoxels, building their galleries, and then they're selling their art for Ethereum, which is kind of like the currency, and they're selling it on OpenSea, and OpenSea kind of provides, as you said, the infrastructure for all this, and that, that's really cool that you mentioned it's like this sustainable model and economy that's being developed. I think that that's so, so cool. I, I'm surprised I haven't thought about that before, but I love it. And you've definitely mentioned this through CryptoVoxels, and you know, digital art and whatnot, but what are your thoughts on NFTs themselves? Do you have any specific thoughts on kind of the unique digital asset aspect of non-fungible tokens versus like, you know, Ethereum and Bitcoin being like money or value or whatever? Do you have any thoughts on those specifically? I see this in engineering terms. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I'm the kind of person that when I get hit with a new technology, I want to understand it really deeply. And so what most people don't realize is NFTs, they're just code that is running on top of Ethereum. The concept of an NFT itself is just made up by humans, in a sense. What NFTs are is there is just a standard way of writing code that runs on Ethereum, and it just so happens that the way that it manifests through the technology is that it looks like it's these like 
individual objects, these individual things that represent something of value. So my thoughts on NFTs are generally like, it seems it's a natural extension of how the real world works. And I found it really useful to use that analogy in terms of like, hey, I have an avatar and this avatar is uh, an actual NFT that I can give to you. And despite the fact that this is just like a blob of code that's running on a blockchain somewhere, people need to grab onto like some sense of value that has a parallel in the real world. Like you have avatars, you have clothes. And you can say that an avatar is like a one-to-one -one correspondence with a piece of clothing. And I think that's kind of like what's necessary in order to get people on board to like a lot of these ideas. And thankfully it seems to be working. Yeah, we were basically playing with NFTs the other day just in VR chat, pulling them out. And I was shocked that everybody just kind of got it. So yeah, to me, like, I think NFTs are probably the one of the main building blocks that we'll need um, in terms of actually having some sort of budding economy where value is being exchanged. Because there's like only so much that you can do um, where you can say, oh, I, I have a thousand schmeckles, you have a hundred schmeckles, let's trade some schmeckles. Like that's just like very abstract. And pretty much the only thing that you can do with that is maybe like exchange some services. Um, but with NFTs, like you, you can actually represent an ownership of land, of an object, of an avatar, um, or a ticket to an event. Um, that's even being explored. I want to ask you, and we're going back to metaverse now, what are the main barriers to adoption to the metaverse? Meaning like, is everyone going to need a, a VR headset and that's going to be a huge barrier to adoption? Or is everyone going to need a super fast computer and that's going to be a big barrier to adoption or technically like building such a large platform of interconnected worlds, is that going to be the biggest barrier? Like in your mind, what are the biggest barriers to adoption of the metaverse? If I were to unpack that, I would say it really depends who you're asking because the metaverse like by its nature needs to be a collaboration between uh, creators, between technologists, between makers, between podcasters even, <laughs> and between the actual users that are, um, inside like all these worlds. So a lot of people like start with the obvious answer to what is like the biggest barrier to adoption. And you could just say, oh, it's the headsets, they suck. And in fact, there's several companies that have kind of like checked out of that space, like High Fidelity, just because they said, oh, the headsets aren't good enough, so we can't have Metaverse right now. I'll talk to you in a decade or whatever. But then there's the other angle that you could take, like uh, the angle that Tim Sweeney takes with uh, Fortnite and with Epic Games, which is that the Metaverse is pretty much already here and it has nothing to do with like HMDs at all. And I'm always the person that's telling people, you know what, the metaverse is already here and it's actually Discord. It's where we're all talking already. We're sharing interoperable files. We're sharing experiences and we're connecting outside of Discord to other experiences, whether that's to a game or whether that's to websites, to experiences, to streams. So the barrier to adoption to me doesn't seem like it's any one thing and it's certainly not technology. It's people's understanding of the technology and kind of shifting the overton window of like what is allowable discourse. And I think like the whole coronavirus pandemic has done a lot of good things for that um, particular aspect of it, because you have people that now no longer have the option of meeting each other in person, no longer have the option of going to a party in real life. They no longer have the option of holding that conference that they wanted to hold. So like, what can you do? Well, you can turn to the things that the rest of us have already been doing this whole time. You can meet virtually. And it's really been amazing to see people kind of like come to us and like look to us for leadership and like solutions here. And um, 
Yeah. So, so I, I think really the main barrier to adoption, if I were to summarize it in one word, would just be time. I think like there's a lot increasingly in a number of people that agree that this is a, like an inevitable um, evolution of the way the technology is going. It just takes maybe a pandemic or two for people to come around. That's a super interesting thought that the the metaverse already exists, but it just kind of the like the level of immersion is not quite there yet. You know, n- not the level of like Ready Player One, so to speak. It's kind of like we're already on Discord, as you mentioned. We're already connecting through online activities here and there, going to these virtual worlds and doing this. It's like it's already here. It's just that it's not what we think about when we, you know, thinking from the movies uh, that we watch or the books that we read. But yeah, it does definitely exist in a way. Uh, and I think that that's a super interesting thought. And this is, you kind of touched upon this already because of the situation, the COVID pandemic. But how do you think that the metaverse goes mainstream? Is it going to have to be these like, calamitous events? Or do you think that over time people are just going to, I don't know, kind of get sucked in because they're going to realize that, oh man, this is like really fun and I can connect with people all the time and, you know, we can do really fun activities together. What do you think? What will be the event or thing that will cause the metaverse to go mainstream? These things are always pretty obvious in retrospect, but like, it's even hard for me to point out a time when the internet went mainstream or when phones went mainstream. Like, we could point to some grand product release, like something like the iPhone or the day that the uh, iPhone allowed apps on there. Or maybe it's like the first time there was a million apps. Or maybe it's the day that Android was announced. Or maybe we can say that the internet was really born when we first got Wikipedia or like when Wikipedia hit a milestone. But for me, it's always just a gradient. And you can never really predict all the different factors that are going to go into it. Like, for example, one of the crazy things that I learned about Facebook is that the only reason that they were able to grow beyond, I forget what the number was, but let's say it was in like the 100 million range. The only reason that they were able to break past that 100 million person barrier was because they implemented automated language translation for posts. And that's what kind of brought the entire world um, into the scope of Facebook's mission of connecting everybody. And it's really hard to like predict like which one of these events is going to come in and like make the difference. Like nobody certainly predicted COVID coming around. And I think it's going, I think it's already doing like a lot to kind of move the conversation towards that. So like to kind of answer the question, I think we're eventually just going to realize that we're living in science fiction movies. And just the other night, that's kind of the feeling that I got. It's really hard to explain. Um, we'll probably be able to talk about it later. Uh, but it's just like these things are only obvious when you look back and see, oh, well, yeah, by the way, I read Snow Crash when I was, whatever, 11, and it turns out that pretty much every single thing that happened in that book we're already doing right now. And it's like, well, yeah, I guess we've achieved some amount of metaverse. And the ironic thing is, like, Snow Crash is um, the book that defined the term metaverse and kind of, like, really brought into popularity the term avatars. And pretty much everything that's in that book is now true. So one could argue that we've already achieved the metaverse. But in, in another sense, like we also feel like we haven't because we're not all wearing glasses like 24-7. So I don't know. I, th- I think the history is going to be written by the people like us who are like talking about this stuff right now. Yeah, and you mentioned Snow Crash. When I was reading that, pretty sure it was written in 1992. Maybe it was 1994. It was either one of those years. And I had to stop and I had to keep looking at it. It was like, when was this made? When was this made? Because I was blown away when I found out it was in in the 90s because everything that they talk about is essentially, yeah, not everything, obviously, but like the technology and like metaverse and avatar and, and all, all the stuff that we're, we're doing online is basically true today. And I was just blown away by how how accurate the author was in, in projecting that out, you know, 
10, 20 years in the future, which is just crazy. This is kind of a, a question that you, you probably know where I stand on this, but can you have a metaverse without utilizing a blockchain or some sort of like secure distributed ledger? I think Facebook would like the answer to be yes. Um, Facebook Horizon is their kind of like take on a lot of these ideas. It's supposed to be launching like within a month or two. And certainly like all the big companies want to invent the metaverse. They want to control that value flow because I think people are finally coming around to the idea that this is the future and this is where most value and most of human experience will be experienced. Um, it's going to be through these virtual worlds. So Facebook probably wants the answer to be no, that we want the metaverse without the blockchain, or alternatively, it's some sort of blockchain based on uh, controlled technology by Facebook, something like Libra. I think it's not a coincidence that Facebook now takes the time to kind of explore the blockchain space themselves. Um, like once everybody else has kind of like proven out that yes, this is probably going to be a real thing, like enough people um, in executive positions kind of got convinced that, yeah, we need to like lock it down and we need to control it ourselves. Um, so can the metaverse happen without a blockchain? A lot of these companies would say yes, but I think the answer is no. And the reason is we won't really have a metaverse if it's controlled by any one of these companies or even like one or two companies. I don't think we have any sort of freedom or metaverse-iness in the way that we use our phones. In the sense that um, application developers really have to go through one of two choices if they want to um, develop any sort of content for a phone. And that's you either ask Apple's permission to publish your thing on the phone, or you ask Google's permission to publish the thing on the phone. And I think that is like one of the defining aspects of whether like we've reached a metaverse. It's whether the platforms have kind of disappeared and we are no longer talking about compatibility or like, I have this kind of headset, you have a different competing kind of headset, and we can't talk to each other because some executive decided that that's not going to work. And I feel like that is where we are headed if everybody continues to patronize things like um, Facebook and the Quest Store for like getting all their apps through there, um, which is why I'm a huge fan of like the web um, in general. It's kind of like the great equalizer that everybody feels they have to implement which also means that whatever you're working on on the web is completely compatible with everything else. And that is where like the whole blockchain thing comes in. It's, blockchains are like the great equalizer. They define everything in terms of standards that you need to implement in order to implement, in order to interoperate with um, everybody else who's implementing the standards. And um, I think that's pretty much the only way that we're going to be able to achieve the kind of stuff that you see in uh, both Ready Player One and Snow Crash actually here, which is that if you notice, there is not a single reference in either the books or the movie Ready Player One of interoperability. There is like not a single word devoted to explaining that, oh, you can't load this up because it doesn't work. Like that's just like a completely non-issue. And I think that's a huge part of like what's missing and why people would say that right now we're not in the metaverse, but like in some future version of the world we will be. Um, it's really just about interoperability and removing like a lot of those friction points. Like a lot of people will just say, oh, the headsets aren't good enough. They're not comfortable enough to wear all day. I think a lot of it just comes down to software and the software experience. If you're going to, if you have to like jump into a view of reality, and go to a store in order to make reality do anything that's remotely useful. And by the way, you can only do one thing at a time because there's no multitasking. Like that's absolutely crazy, but that is the kind of model that all these stores are trying to build. And I think we need to build them outside of that kind of model, but we still need to be able to exchange value. And that's why I think like blockchains are both a natural fit and 
probably necessary for anybody to agree that we've actually achieved the metaverse at some point. I absolutely love that, of course, because I, I completely agree with, with that 100%. All right, what does the metaverse mean to you? Life, probably. I mean, <laughs> I am very fortunate to be in a position where I don't really have to listen to anybody at this point. Um, in terms of like an employer, in terms of a spouse in terms of my parents. I'm kind of like at the point in life where I kind of get to choose what I want to work on. And the thing that I choose to work on is metaverse technology. There's really nothing else that I'd rather like help bring into fruition. And one of the main reasons is because one, I think it's inevitable and I want to be a part of it. But number two, I think the way that it's currently going is not the kind of metaverse that I really want to live in. Like something like Facebook Horizon really scares me. It's because it's this controlled, sanitized, world where my perception of reality is beholden to somebody approving of it. Some of my friends, for example, want to have lewd avatars. And it is a serious problem for them to be able to express themselves, even like in the privacy of like a shared chat room with somebody else who also like cares about lewd avatars or whatever. They are not able to do that on any one of these platforms, essentially, because this is the kind of stuff that's banned just like straight up as a general rule, like we don't want anything that's lewd and if you like have an avatar that's lewd or like that's sexualized in some way, you're just going to be completely kicked off the platform and you have nowhere to go. So there's literally people that, like myself, spend a great deal of their engineering, of their intellectual time developing solutions just to get around the restrictions of these platforms. And I feel like I'm working on metaverse stuff exactly for that same reason. It's because it really does mean everything to me at this point. Like I'm building the kind of world that I want to live in. And I don't think that a lot of the people that are currently working on the problem are of that same mindset. I think a lot of these people are here basically just to make a quick buck. Um, they're here for the same reason that uh, blockchain people initially got into blockchain stuff, which is that they wanted to make money. They didn't understand the technology. They didn't understand the ideals and they didn't have the forethought to even anticipate how the technology would be used. They just wanted to get in, see a bit of inflation and then get out before everybody else realized that there was nothing there. So that's kind of like what the metaverse means to me. It's pretty much everything. I love that. It's almost like religious in nature about how passionate you are about this. And it's just so cool to see that you are building the world that you want to live in, as you said. And that to me is like amazing. Like you're not just sitting on the sidelines hoping that one day it, the world kind of transforms into your ideals. It's like, no, you're out there front lines doing it yourself. And that's, that's such a powerful motivating force and factor to be a part of. All right. I wanted to dive deep into the project that you're working on. And I believe it is called the Webiverse. So what is the Webiverse? Well, that's a terrible name. <laughs> um, the Webiverse has a long history and all the other stuff that I've been doing in terms of using the web as both a proving ground and an experimentation ground and just like a way to showcase to people what is actually possible if we did have the kind of stuff that we see in Ready Player One where things actually just worked. You put on a headset and then you could have a social experience with somebody else and Facebook Google, all these other like entities were not in the way in trying to mediate all of that. Um, so what Webiverse is, is really we're just trying to standardize the metaverse. And we're doing that through web technologies. We kind of like soft launched a few products last night. And we're still kind of going through the implications of what we experienced. Because basically we jumped into VR chat. Uh, we had a wristwatch room code entry thing 
on our hands where we could share room codes and then we could go into par into like parallel realities um, using web technologies and kind of like experience websites together that we were loading like from our inventories uh, using cryptocurrencies on our wrists. And what I'd like to kind of see is for people to realize that you don't need to be beholden to the restrictions that worlds kind of impose upon users of things like VRChat, uh, users of things like the Oculus Quest App Store. Like there are ways that you can use existing technologies using, um, for example, overlays uh, to draw like applications on top of the world um, or to join like social rooms or to like have phone calls that are like heads up displays in front of you, regardless of which application you're in. And there are technologies available today that allow you to create these kinds of experiences. And all of them already exist and they're in your web browser and they work across all devices. So really what the Webiverse is, is it's we're trying to come up with the infrastructure, with the inspirations, and with the standards um, for people to start working towards experiences that are shared, that work everywhere, and they work using universal technologies that we can kind of agree on. One of them being like, for example, this is just a website that you can load up, which means that it works on all devices. This is somewhere where we're sharing identities using Ethereum addresses, which means we can transact, we can hand each other objects from our backpacks, regardless of which world we're in. And hopefully this is also something that can be taken seriously by all the existing players that are creating these locked up worlds, like VRChat, like Unity, um, and pretty much a lot of the other experiences right now that we're using, um, like hubs as well. What we kind of want to enable is all these worlds to say, okay, well, we're not going to implement avatars ourselves. We're not going to implement a new standard for worlds. We're not going to implement a new standard for what teleporting means. We're not going to implement a new standard for wearables. Because there is something called the Webiverse or like this working group of people that are working to standardize all this stuff. And we can just use that piece. And that means that we are going to be interoperable with every other person that's kind of like bought into this idea of having a shared metaverse. Hopefully moving forward, we can take this to the W3C. There's a lot of uh, talks that we're having in the background with big names that I probably can't reveal yet. But we, what we want to do is we kind of want to get together and realize like all these different shared pieces that we've all been redoing ourselves in an uninteroperable way and make them interoperable instead. And I think that would be magical for users to finally be able to say, hey, I have an avatar and this isn't an avatar that's tied to hubs. It's not an avatar that's tied to VRChat. It's not an avatar that's tied to Unity. It's not a Decentraland avatar. It's not a CryptoVoxels avatar. It's just an avatar in the abstract. I can pull it out and I can wear it anytime. That's amazing. Is it fair to say that the Webiverse is, it's not a game. It's kind of a, an infrastructure company that it's basically building towards allowing people to experience freedom and interoperability in any sort of virtual environment. That's pretty accurate. But the reason that it's really hard to explain what the Webiverse is, is because it's made up of all of the existing stuff. Like a lot of people expect when, when I say that I'm working on like a blockchain project or that I'm working on a virtual world or that I'm working on avatars. A lot of people like naturally jump to the conclusion that like, oh, I'm just like making another thing that's like VR chat. When really what we want to do as a group is we want to make less and less stuff and just enable the existing stuff to start to interoperate.
so yeah, it's pretty accurate to say that we're le- we're not even. I wouldn't even say that we're a company at this point because like this is all very new stuff. But maybe a working group or a community or perhaps a foundation that can kind of like take the best of all these different worlds and create an ecosystem that isn't um, necessarily bound to parent company like Facebook or something. It's just kind of like maybe a good analogy here could be a DAO because we've. Ha- We've had some discussions already of like how we can fund these kinds of projects. And on the one hand, there have been venture capitalists that have come to us and said, um, oh, this is really cool and you're clearly working on stuff and you're clearly um, like on the ball and you clearly understand where things are headed. So we'll just give you money for free. I have always been hesitant to take anybody's money if I don't understand what they're getting out of it. And in the VC case, I do understand that they just want like a return eventually at some point. But the problem with working like that is you become one of these other companies that you're trying to fight against. You become something like Unity or you become a VR chat where your reason for existing is really to create returns for somebody else. And the only way to do that is to stop working with everybody else who you feel is like kind of sapping value somewhere else, which is why, for example, if you upload your world to VR chat, um, one of the key features of VR chat is that it becomes completely locked in there and you can't take it out when the nature of the metaverse that I think we need to move forward to is the exact opposite. And on the other hand, we've also had some sponsors that have just come to us and said that we'll just like give you money because you're making like really cool open source stuff. And we also kind of tend to say no to that because there's always a fine print to these kinds of things where it's like they're going to ask for a favor at some point and you're going to have to say yes or you're going to have to like lose that funding and you're going to have to fire somebody. So it just like creates these perverse incentives and one of the things that we can do with uh, this kind of infrastructure, with this kind of standardization um, and with all these people on board is we could use blockchains for example to uh, create a foundation that lives completely in the virtual space like a decentralized uh, autonomous organization where people own some shares in this virtual organization and you can vote using the blockchain uh, for the foundation to undertake certain endeavors. Like maybe you care about avatars and you own whatever, $30,000 of shares in like this foundation. And what you want to do is you want to put that share into avatars work. And then so through the blockchain, you do the voting mechanism, what have you, and the foundation is now going to hire somebody to work on the avatars problem specifically. I think it could be like a way for all of us to kind of like get aligned on the same mission, despite the fact that we're working on something that's much more ethereal than um, something like a virtual world. We're working on problems and we're creating solutions to them rather than trying to immediately package something for somebody so that we can lock it up and we can compete with everybody else who's trying to do the same thing, which I consider like the biggest problem that we're facing right now. Yeah, I think it's really interesting to look for alternative sources of funding for yourself because you're absolutely correct that right when you kind of start taking on venture capital, the incentives can, you know, obviously the the mission, the goal is still the same for the company, but the incentive structure changes, right? So instead of just, hey guys, we're gonna build this awesome, incredible incredible metaverse or whatever it might be, hey guys, we're gonna do that, but we also have to pay these guys back. So we need to, you know, now charge for this or add in this feature or, oh, and also this, you know, VC, they don't wanna be connected to any companies that for example, showcase any lewd avatars. So like that's banned, you know? So you're absolutely correct where there's all these different stipulations and the incentives get mixed up. And yeah, I think blockchain provides a really 
interesting possibilities in, in terms of different funding models like DAOs. That's super interesting. And also, you mentioned CryptoVoxels before and how Ben Nolan, he kind of raised by selling off pieces of his metaverse that he's building slowly at a time. And I think that that's, that's a really interesting model. So there's all these different methods in order to now raise and really pay yourself while you're building these technologies. And I think that's, that's really interesting. I wanted to ask you to break down what happened last night at the metaverse meetup because you showcased the technology and it was, it was crazy. But if you could kind of take me play by play of how it worked on like a simple level, because I, I couldn't attend that piece of the meetup, but I'd love for people to be able to understand like the power of it and what you actually did when you were showcasing this technology. So the way that it kind of went down is for the last year or so on and off, we've been doing virtual events in hubs where um, a lot of it is just me kind of like putting up slides behind myself and talking about all these different projects that I've been working on. And all the, like sometimes we would invite other speakers from people like Mozilla to LifeScope um, to people working on A-Frame, different startups in this space. There, and we also ran a couple of panels with even, for example, Ben Nolan um, from CryptoVoxels and some of the other engineers. So we've been doing these events for a long time. And it pains me to say it, but I think we're like one of the world experts in this, even though it doesn't feel like it. But it feels like everybody's kind of like coming to us for like, how do you do virtual events? And I, I don't think we have any clue what we're doing, but we've been doing it for a year um, and people have been showing up. So that's cool. Um, but what we did some what we did uh, last night, it was kind of like a bit of a special um, event, is we not only took the hubs virtual room into VR chat, but we also added kind of like an expo show floor. So you could basically go see the presentations um, with speakers like myself, where I basically explained some of the Webiverse stuff that I was working on. And then you could literally go in and try the technology live. So there was a bunch of booths there, and I was one of them. I think the world is up, by the way, if you guys want to check it out. There's probably going to be Discord links um, with this podcast. But anyway, uh, so there was an expo show floor, and uh, I was one of the presenters um, on the expo, and my booth was just literally an NFT of this alien that I got somewhere. <laughs> um, and the NFT is just basically a 3D model that we ported into VR chat. And next to it, you have a QR code that leads to one of the Webiverse sites that gets you started. And so a couple of people, I wasn't even paying attention because I was checking out the other booths, but a couple of people went over to the QR code. They used their phone to get to the website on Webiverse. And then they downloaded like my Metachromium browser, which kind of like overlays uh, web stuff over top of VRChat and other apps. And then they came to me and then I realized that what they were doing was they were playing with my software, except I couldn't realize it because it was like in their virtual augmented reality glasses that they were running without my knowledge or with any, without anybody else's knowledge. And they were playing with the NFT that I put up in my booth. So I immediately, of course, I'm like, you know what, guys, I got to stop checking out these booths because people need support for my product. So it was kind of like I launched the product inside of VRChat and I didn't even realize that it was launched. So then I kind of had to drop everything and I had to jump in um, with everybody into these uh, augmented reality rooms inside of VRChat. And by the way, all of this is happening without any of us leaving our headsets. It was super awesome. So we went into these shared rooms um, and then we started trading with these NFTs. Uh, one interesting thing that I did thankfully plan for is I pre-minted a badge that commemorated the event 
um, of this kind of like pseudo launch. And I was able to give that NFT to people just because they joined the same room as me. And I could see their wallet and I could grab the NFT for the badge and give it to them physically. And what we ended up, ha what ended up happening is like we had eight people basically just run around, uh, gather in a circle. And we were all looking at these holograms that were taking place inside of VR chat. And then everybody else who kind of like was out of the loop, they didn't realize what we were doing because we're all standing around in a circle, like looking at basically what looks like nothing to them um, in the center. And it's like, what are you guys doing? Like, what do you see there? Like, is there something there? Am I supposed to be seeing something? And that was like a really powerful thing because all we really had to say is, yeah, we're looking at holograms um, of these NFTs. And all you have to do is you have to go check that QR code, you have to download this thing, and you can see the holograms too. And it was like a mind-blowing experience for some of these people. Um, some of them were like crypto artists who later reached out to us and said, oh, hey, can I like get in on this? Like I want to put my NFTs over inside this system. So yeah, that was kind of a mind-blowing experience. But another thing that ended up uh, happening through that is we met another developer that was working on similar technology. He kind of like realized what we were doing, that we're running holograms, and he's like, oh, but by the way, I make like a hologram app too. And so what we ended up doing is we went to Steam, we downloaded his hologram app as well. So what the world looked like in the end was we had VR chat, we had Webiverse technology that's running as an overlay, um, rendering AR holograms of NFTs. So we had like 10 applications there run by eight people, and then we had 10 more people in his app, which is called Pluto. So, so in the end, we were like running 40 apps and it was just basically all of us huddled in a circle and everybody else who's kind of like enjoying the expo or just like hopping into the world um, was none the wiser. And they kind of like felt that they were out of the loop. So we kind of like got them all onboarded. And it was really amazing that I was basically able to launch a product and to get people bootstrapped without ever leaving my headset, without even necessarily seeing what they're seeing. It was absolutely mind-blowing. Uh, what ended up working too, which was really cool, uh, was the fact that I have this prototype feature that if you enter a certain URL, you can actually see what other people are, are seeing inside your heads-up display. If you've seen the movie Ready Player One, there's basically the scene where um, Wade and H are talking and they can see each other in like a heads-up display of like what the other person is seeing. So we were able to enable that and even see each other through that extra heads up display layer. So it was like me looking at what somebody else is looking at, what somebody else is looking at of me. And it was just an absolutely mind blowing metaverse serendipitous, I guess, experience. And then after that, we talked for like four hours of like how we can continue engineering, how we can like continue to evolve this with um, like some of the artists that were at the event. And, and like all these ideas are still fresh in my head and they're still kind of bouncing around, which is probably why I'm going off on crazy tangents here. I love that. I think that saying the word mind blowing is very applicable to the situation you just described. Like that is so crazy. And if I could get this right, you guys are in VR chats, which is essentially a virtual world and people downloaded your Webiverse application. They were still in the VR chat, but then within VR chat, suddenly they could see objects that happened to be nfts and they were playing around with them like you know quote unquote physically like they were holding the nft so one of the nfts was in my stall but it was also available in the inventory that i had in the application so i could hand that nft that they were looking at in vr chat to somebody else as well as a souvenir um, to commemorate the event and there was also a sword um, which you could use to kill the 
It was like this little creature that was at the stall. So the way that I have it programmed is the sword can actually interact with the creature. But I told people not to do that because um, you don't want to hurt the creature. <laughs> but yeah, in addition to being able to play around with NFTs, um, the other thing that we were able to do is because you can see each other in the AR space as well. Everybody has an AR avatar as well as their VR chat avatar. We had some people that were joining from regular web browsers. They actually were not part of the VR chat event. The way that happened is, so people at the VR chat event, um, I realized that they were using this stuff, so I had to jump in with them. And then I said, hey, by the way, like if you have any friends, they can just open up their web browser, regular web browser on a Mac, even something that doesn't support VR chat. You can open up the web browser and you can join us. And a couple of people did do that. And we ended up going into voice chat with people that were just AR holograms inside of VR chat, except they weren't present with us in VR chat itself. They were present using a regular web browser somewhere else. And they didn't even have VR chat installed. That is just so crazy. I'm trying to wrap my brain around it and it is quite difficult. So I definitely need to come to the next event. Do you know when the next event is gonna be and where you're gonna be showcasing this technology next? We do them weekends usually. So it's either going to be next weekend or the weekend after. Okay, so let's go to ExoKit because ExoKit was your old project that you were working on. Now Webiverse, how do those two projects relate to each other? This kind of goes back to what I was saying where everything is kind of like in a state of flux and it's always a gradient. I'm not afraid to admit that like 80% of the technology that we're talking about was pulled straight out of ExoKit. And the reason that I was able to do that is because once again, standards. Um, ExoKit, for people who don't know me, um, is really just a web browser that allows you to experience multiple web applications at the same time. Um, it wasn't necessarily based on any sort of NFT stuff, but that technology ended up being a proving ground and it ended up being super useful for this kind of use case, like for example, running um, web multiple web applications inside of VRChat. So to me, it just kind of feels like it's a gradual progression and I wouldn't even say that like I've stopped working on ExoKit because the way that it happens is a lot of the bugs that I'm finding in Webiverse turn out to be bugs in ExoKit code. So I can go back, I can pull out that code and just drop it into like the Webiverse code base. Like one of those cases was VRChat uh, avatars. There's a whole bunch of avatar standards that you can use, um, whether it's like Unity FBX, it's object files, it's uh, VRM files. And there's always like massive incompatibilities between them. So what I did is I wrote like just a web layer that kind of gets rid of those incompatibilities and makes it so that you can take a regular avatar file, drop it into the web browser, and then experience that avatar pretty much everywhere. And so there was a bug in that code. Turned out that it was a bug in ExoKit. So I was easily able to go back to the ExoKit code, fix that there, and then import it back to Webiverse. And this was just basically last night after the event when people realized that there was like this bug with the inverse kinematics of the hands. So I think like what I'm doing with ExoKit is just kind of like evolving it further into like what the next evolution of the metaverse is. All right. So who is using Webiverse or who do you see using the Webiverse? Right now, um, I'm getting a lot of interest from basically... I would say like three different kinds of people if I were to categorize them. One of them is people that have already been working in this technology space or like have had the same kind of ideas and they realize that we're going to need some sort of interoperability between all these different worlds. So these are people like Pluto. These are some people at Valve that I'm talking to. Um, these are people at Magic Leap. These are people at Huawei who are just like making headsets in China. They're coming to me as kind of like 
a savior figure, I guess. I hate to use that word, but it seems like everybody is just like looking to me to like provide the path forward for like standardizing all of these things. So that's been like both super humbling and like and not frustrating, but stressful because like now I have to kind of like present solutions to like these huge companies that like I, could, I, I never like dreamed that I would be working with. So there's like that one path. And these are the people that I feel like we're probably going to end up at a W3C group kind of working together on a foundation that's like building all this infrastructure out. So that's like the one flow of people too is crypto artists who actually, I didn't know that there would be so many at the presentation, but basically all the crypto artists are always looking for new and innovative ways to display, to market, to showcase, and to allow people to experience their art. So it seems like one thing that we've been missing is just being able to take 3D tokens um, to tokenize them, to put them up on OpenSea. And this is one of the things that Webiverse does. There's just a tool that allows you to do that. And not only to take existing tokens, but to visually build them uh, using voxels or using marching cubes or using like a painting tool that we also made that, that we're releasing as part of like the SDK for Webiverse. So there is also a whole bunch of crypto artists that I still need to follow up on because... Um, this just happened last night and we're not even 24 hours in. So there's a huge amount of messages that I need to reply to there. And then um, it feels like a third piece of the audience here is just the investors that are once again coming to us and saying, can you please take our money for some reason? Um, I'm not sure if I would consider them users, but I think we're at the point where, by the way, I've been doing like all of this myself for the last five years or so. So I'm no stranger to like having like a huge amount of work on me, but it's also becoming like kind of unbearable for me <laughs> um, to kind of like answer to like Valve and like present them solutions as well as like, for example, do three podcasts as well as like fix bugs for like um, crypto artists or or just like do marketing or like fixing up the site. Like it's just becoming absolutely crazy. So I don't know, I'm kind of like looping around to the idea of maybe like some amount of capital would be nice if I could actually um, comfortably go out and say, yeah, I can hire you. And by the way, there's tons of people who want to work on this stuff. Like, there's, there's absolutely no shortage of people that want this kind of metaverse to exist. It's just I've constantly told them, like, no, I don't feel comfortable hiring you because I don't want to fire you if this all ends up going sideways. I think it might be interesting to say yes to somebody who's offering us money. And then if we're aligned, hopefully accelerating this forward but it seems like at this point it's not even like money that is the problem it's just kind of getting everybody on board and creating the kind of infrastructure that we need so that we feel okay collaborating um, which is why the idea of like a DAO I think is super interesting to me yeah I really like the idea of receiving some sort of you know obviously your sanity is very very important right and so receiving some sort of capital where that capital is completely aligned with your goals and your mission how important that really is. And that makes a lot of sense to me that you're really thinking about that a lot. I want to ask you, what is the long-term vision of Webiverse? Kind of where do you see this going? Okay, so I, I'm, I'm a big dreamer, but I've learned to temper my dreams over the years. Because as I said, when I was in third grade, I was inventing all of this stuff in my head. In a sense, I felt like it would always come to fruition, but also like I agreed with the people that told me that I was completely crazy. So my longer term vision, maybe this is ambitious, maybe it's not, but like I just like to see VR chat like start implementing like some sort of standard that we can start using. Like I am a fan of VR chat. 
I'm also a fan of CryptoVoxels. And like one of my main frustrations with something like uh, CryptoVoxels is like, I understand that Ben needs to make money and I know that he needs to sell parcels and he needs to constantly expand the platform in like a direction that's roughly aligned with him like continuing to feed uh, his family to put food on the table. But that also kind of in some sense works against having the time and the willpower to invest in something that's interoperable, like um, wearables that will work on other platforms. And also like people like Ben uh, from CryptoVoxels don't really have time to do the kinds of crazy things that I'm doing, which is kind of like going out to all these platforms, exploring what they're doing, keeping tabs, and understanding how all of this uh, plays together. Ben just doesn't have time for that. And neither do people at Valve, neither do people at Mozilla, neither do people at Facebook, neither do people who are like writing any of these applications. So I think it's like really on us to reach out to all these platforms and to come to come to them with some sort of solution for how we can interoperate. And my longer term vision, hopefully this is something that it could take place within the next six months, um, but it might take a lot longer. I think within that time period, if everybody got together got on board with this idea, then we could start to see people agreeing, yeah, I think we're starting to achieve the metaverse. And I can take an avatar from VRChat and I can sell it on CryptoVoxels in an auction and I can use it for a ballroom dance um, in Wave VR or whatever. Six months is doable. <laughs> I don't know if that's ambitious or, <laughs> or if we need a bit longer. Um, but more longer term, like I just I don't even want to be at the center of any of this stuff necessarily. It seems like everybody else is looking to me, but what I want to see is everybody else kind of like benefiting because I don't need more resources. I don't need, I don't need any necessarily engineering help to like make this a real thing. What I would like to see more of is people agreeing that, yeah, this is pretty much the only way that we can achieve the kind of virtual worlds that um, we dreamed about when we were kids. And yeah, I hope to be able to show people a realistic way. And if I'm not in the history books, that's actually completely fine with me as long as I can live in the world that I dreamt of living in. I love that. All right, let's jump into the closing questions now. So what is your single favorite NFT that you own? This is going to be an embarrassing admission, but I own a huge swath of land in Decentraland which I've done absolutely nothing with. And it's my favorite more of like for what it represents to me. Because um, I was actually a big fan of Decentraland's initial ideas of the metaverse. Like I was completely on board with the idea of, hey, there's a whole bunch of land. We're going to use a land sale to uh, fund development of this open platform where everybody kind of has a say. It's going to be VR. You're going to be able to transact. And everybody's kind of going to be using this platform um, in an open, interoperable um, way, and it's going to work completely in the web browser, and it's going to use existing technologies that I was already using at the time, just like web stuff. So I was totally on board with that, and at the time, I was already working on VR stuff that was kind of similar, so I was really scared um, when they made that initial announcement, and I totally bought in. But it turns out that what Decentraland um, did is they're like, wow, now we have $30 million, and... We don't know what to do with it, but there's a whole bunch of extra capital available, so we'll take um, additional investment from investors and so on. And then slowly, piece by piece, every kind of like founding principle that they had on their list, like the thing that they sold to everybody like me, 
kind of like was wiped away from the equation. Like there's no more VR support. They dropped just regular A-frame, then they moved to Babylon, which is how uh, Ben Nolan, by the way, got involved. Um, he was working on Babylon uh, with uh, Decentraland for a little while. And that was the birth of CryptoVoxels. Um, but they moved from A-frame, which was like the super open technology, to Babylon, which was a little bit less open. It's now owned by Microsoft. And then they moved completely to a Unity-based system. So now it's like completely it doesn't work with anything and they just said hey everybody who bought into Decentraland now you have to go and use Unity and yeah it, it no longer even supports VR and if you try it right now it just doesn't work at all <laughs> you, like regardless of which browser you use it in it's just going to crash um, and I think the chances of it ever working in VR are now effectively zero because it's been completely built out by people who came to the platform to do essentially nothing with it. Um, so the question was like, what is like my favorite NFT? And it's probably this huge swath of land in Decentraland that I'm not going to do absolutely anything with. And it's kind of like a reminder to me of not how not to design a metaverse and like how to completely fail at that. And um, who knows, um, maybe at some point we'll put up like a testament to some of the stuff that we built in Decentraland kind of a way for to get everybody from Decentraland out to something that's a bit more open. Wow, that is an answer that I've never had before. I think it's really interesting that it's your favorite because it's, you're using it as a reminder to, hey, uh, stick to your values and stick to do what you say and build exactly what you dream of doing and make it open and make it transparent, etc. And I think that's a really, really interesting answer. All right. What is something that you'd like to see happen or something that you think needs to happen to the metaverse ecosystem? I think we need to talk to each other more. One of the biggest things that shock me talking to people in all of these different ecosystems, whether that's Ethereum, whether that's VR, whether that's people working on web, whether that's people working under like one of these massive organizations like um, Oculus, they don't talk to each other. It's shocking to me that like the one thread through all of this seems to be some of the work that we're doing with our meetings, like with M3, with our crew. Like I'm constantly having conversations with people like at Valve who are working on roughly the exact same things that uh, Mozilla is working on with like hubs. And I have to constantly tell like people at Valve, no, by the way, this already exists. There is a standard for doing it and Mozilla is doing it over here. And they're like, wow, that's really awesome. I had absolutely no idea. And then so I also go to like people in hubs who are like building out their own infrastructure. And then I have to point out, hey, by the way, Valve, they're working on like this kind of like similar technology. And it's actually this little piece, it's open source and it would be really good for you. And they're like, wow, like we needed that exact thing for our avatars. Like, how did I not know about this? And it's like the people that are like so deep in this, like the people who are doing the engineering and the people like on these teams are so isolated, centralized, and like they're all kind of like living in their own bubble. They're like... And this is a mentality that I find myself like getting into as an engineer as well. Like it's easy to think that you have everything figured out and you're the smartest cookie in the room and the way that you're working should be the way that things should work. And that works to an extent because most of the, like some really smart people are working on these problems. Like I have huge respect for them. But what ends up happening there is everybody reinvents the exact same thing except everybody reinvents it in a way that's not compatible with the way that the ne the person in the next door over reinvented it. And they don't talk to each other. <laughs> so it's like, I find that this is kind of like my INTJ Myers-Briggs personality coming out. I find that like so inefficient and crazy. And like, why don't you guys just like 
talk to each other and like see what you guys are doing and like is there some sort of infrastructure is there some sort of bridge that we can build in order for you guys to see the value in kind of sharing code sharing ideas sharing um, platforms sharing standards and can we like get the metaverse bootstrapped within my lifetime i love that that's a very very thoughtful answer i, I think that makes a lot of sense about people needing to to communicate more and connect with each other more to see uh, what's already been built and what standardizations that they can use to port to their systems. And, and uh, that makes a lot of sense to me. You already touched upon this a little bit earlier, but what role do NFTs play in the metaverse? I think they are going to be absolutely necessary in representing value. There's many different ways that people have tried to represent value in virtual worlds. Um, one of them is like, for example, what Valve is doing themselves, which is just like mostly selling skins, um, hats, that kind of thing. But the way that it's that it tends to be done, also Fortnite as well, by the way. But the way that that tends to be done is it's one central organization that publishes a game, publishes the infrastructure um, for like getting all of this loot, but it ends up being 100% locked into that specific game. And that's entirely by design. Like if you're a publisher and you're spending millions of dollars on creating this game um, and supporting this game for years afterwards, like for example, Counter-Strike is still going strong. You need to have like an additional source of revenue. Um, but what ends up happening there is we get locked into our games. We get locked into the factions that we're thinking in. And this is where like, flame wars and like gamer wars kind of start and i feel like this kind of uh, bleeds into some of the stuff that we're doing in metaverse space as well it's like you don't want to be locked into patronizing a certain platform or a certain game or a certain technique or a certain piece of software we should be talking to each other um, and i think nfts are pretty much the only way that i can see that kind of value bridging the gap where you are buying something in order to support a certain platform that you like but it's not tied to that platform. If we build things in a standard way, like um, with ERC-721 or 1155, which are the uh, typical NFT standards that you use on Ethereum, if it's a token that's represented on a standard network, you can move that value around. And I think this could be a huge boon to even um, studios, to artists, and, and to users as well. Because like, when a game gets abandoned, really the way that things work right now is just people forget about the game and all the stuff that they bought, all the loot that they invested in is kind of just like thrown away. And then we do the same thing next year, which is why like um, Call of Duty gets pumped out every year, every year, for example. And I think that's absolutely nuts. And it creates like all these abusive business models, not only between like the users of the games of the platforms um, and the platforms themselves, but also like there's huge amounts of abuse where like studios are on a deadline to produce another annual game that needs to be released and you have like these crazy crunch periods for developers and people like really being driven to insanity i don't know that that just kind of pains me like that's not how i envision the metaverse um working in the end and to me like nfts are the ticket that kind of gets everybody aligned and working on more meaningful things all right what are the key factors for success for a metaverse project? I think a lot of projects that currently call themselves metaverse projects, um, by the way, Decentraland is one of them. They're huge on just calling themselves we're the metaverse. In a sense, I think we need to stop using that word because the only reason that you would use that word is if you're not a metaverse. The metaverse is probably going to be a thing that will only realize that we've achieved after it's been achieved. So saying that you're the metaverse just kind of means saying that you're not. 
So one of the most successful factors, I think, would be to stop thinking in those terms. If you're trying to be the metaverse, by definition, you're not. Because the metaverse is not you. The metaverse is the collection of everybody else working together. So so I would even say like one of the most successful things that we could do is to think of the metaverse as a thing that's everybody except us. Like how can we help everybody else achieve metaverse? And once we all start thinking in those terms, um, that's when I think like the real metaverse magic is going to happen. Like there was absolutely absolutely nobody um, at our meetings that would legitimately say that they're building the metaverse. And that, that actually kind of excites me because it, it kind of gets us aligned towards building something that doesn't exist rather than trying to say, we have something come to us, everybody, we know exactly what we're doing. So we don't actually know what we're doing. So if I were to maybe even summarize in like what's one factor um, for a successful metaverse project is like really getting rid of the ego and thinking more outside of yourself rather than we are building the metaverse come to us we have it ever we have it all figured out which is like once again um, a very anti-venture capital way of thinking like if you're going to take venture capital it's probably because you want to increase some user metric or whatever like you don't take venture capital because you want to help some other company build the metaverse when to me it seems like the only way that we will get a metaverse is if we're doing that that actually makes a lot of sense the metaverse is kind of ethereal it's not really you can't really have like oh, this is the metaverse, so to speak. It's kind of like, you know, you can't really point to the internet and say, like, this is the internet. It's kind of like a whole mixture of all this stuff combined. All right, last question. Where do you see the metaverse ecosystem in three years? There are two roads that we can go down. There's a light path and there's a dark path. I think the dark path would be Facebook comes out with Horizon and it's considered amazing by users and everybody just gets a quest everybody logs into the sanitized disneyland type world built by facebook where anything that is considered inappropriate by them is banned and you need a facebook account and the only standards that are allowed there are things that facebook approves you have to create your avatars that are compatible with facebook and of course facebook mines all of your data so that um all of your motions all of your eye movements all of the content that you like to experience is tracked and it's sold back to you in the form of either advertisements or or who knows what other crazy monetization scheme maybe it's sold to the department of defense um in order to better figure out how to kill people or like something like super dystopic i feel like that is one path where we could go where just like one or two of these platforms does get a sufficient amount of buy-in from users that there really is no other option as a developer um, for you to do anything but publish your content to some sort of sanitized app store and the only way for people to experience it is to patronize um, a massive corporation that doesn't care about you and that just like treats you effectively as a number and almost like the most dystopic version of that to me is the one where everything looks like it does in um, Horizon which is like Disneyland and everything is like all trying to be cutesy um, when really what it's trying to do is it's trying to distract from the fact that it's mining all of your data and it's selling you as a product. And, and the actual developers behind the content um, are just slaves kind of slaving away to this machine that sanitizes the experience for you and it's blasted into your eyeballs. That is the really dark path to me. The more light version that I would like to see is where Facebook tries something like that 
um, in the next six months. And then it ends up being an epic disaster. And that becomes the kind of thing where people realize, you know what? We don't want this kind of version of reality um, on our faces. We want something that is actually open. Is there anybody working on this problem? Then maybe somebody discovers, hey, there's the Webiverse working group um, in the W3C, and they are working on these standards. And oh, by the way, it seems they're working with Mozilla and Valve already. So um, maybe we should just implement this standard, and maybe we should stop trying to replace um, Facebook Horizon. Maybe we shouldn't be creating our own virtual world. Maybe what we should be doing is we should be doing whatever we think is most meaningful, whether that's creating our sexy avatars or that's creating um, these fantastical worlds or it's porting um, all the worlds that we love to live in as a kid, uh, playing Nintendo 64, playing PlayStation. Or maybe it's game studios that actually take notice and they realize, hey, you know what, maybe the time for like these isolating experiences built into Steam is over. And maybe what we should really be doing is we should just be linking our worlds together into uh, this miasma of awesomeness um, that people are already building and using open technologies. One of those two things I feel like is probably going to happen within the next three years. I just don't know which one, but I think it's pretty clear which one I'm voting for. Wow. Well, yeah, I'm definitely, I'm definitely with you on, on the lighter path. That sounds like a world I want to live in, and, and the uh, Facebook version is definitely something that we should try to avoid. Yeah, we're definitely going to see see what happens over the coming uh, months to years. All right, Avier, this has been so amazing. Learning all about the metaverse and learning about what you're doing with the webiverse is insane, and uh, just just seeing your knowledge and dedication to building building out the metaverse is is incredible. I wish there were thousands of people like you, and hopefully you'll inspire many more to be like you and have your similar values. If people want to you know, reach out to you, chat with you, or kind of connect to the Webiverse or learn more about that, where should they go? What should they do? If you want to chat, uh, come to our Discord. That's probably the best way to reach the community. You can probably put up the links to it. If you want to chat in more of like a public forum where we're all kind of like putting on a certain face, you can talk to me on Twitter. I'm at webmixedreality. Or if you want to check out Webiverse, uh, go to webiverse.com and hopefully the site doesn't suck by the time you get there. Awesome, man. I will link all those in the description of the podcast and we'll, uh, we'll definitely shoot those out. It's been amazing and you'll have to come back on again in a couple months and give us a status update. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Hey everyone, stay tuned for more episodes of the Zima Red podcast and subscribe to the Zima Red newsletter for more info on all things NFTs. Thanks so much for listening.